I really like that. Uh, that was put together. There's a couple men in our church drove around at about 3.30 to 5.30 in the morning in various places where our campuses are just to take some, some pictures of, of the communities that we are a part of and live in. And so we're, we're going to be talking about Christmas and the Christmas story over the next three weeks. And, and the series title is called Hopes and Fears and comes out of that song, A Little Town of Bethlehem. You think about what it says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Really? Um, that, that's a lot of fears. So today we're going to talk about the fears of the past. Next Sunday we're going to talk about the fears of the future. And then I hope you're coming on, on Christmas Eve as well. Well, we'll just wrap things out and talk about the present. Um, before we jump in, I do want to mention we have a lot of books and different things that you can get over at the kids' ministry area where the, the shunk, sunken ship over there. And I'm just highlighting one, but there's a lot of books. There's books for middle schoolers. There's books for parents. Um, and this is one of my favorites. It is my favorite. Um, the Action Bible. So how many of you are familiar of the story about Jeremiah in the well and how he's rescued by Ebed-Melech? Okay, if you're not familiar with that story, there you go, yeah, because it's in here. This is Z's favorite book. Yeah, so, so we, got, we got, you know, one of our kids knows more than the adults. Um, this, is, this is a great, I've had a number of parents actually say, they come to me afterward and say, hey, did you know that there's a story about ba 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 in the Bible? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I never knew that. It's so cool. Because most of us don't do a lot of reading in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you know, and, and some of those books. And anyway, this is, this is great. It, it grabs their attention. It grabs their, uh, you know, um, creativity and, and all of that. And anyway, so you can buy these. We don't make money when we sell these. If you're watching online, there's a way, there's probably a link that Pastor Andrew is figuring out right now that I should have asked him about um, to direct you to some of these things. But we don't make money on these. We actually often lose money, so don't buy it out of pity for us. Like, we just want to equip you as parents, as grandparents, as an aunt or uncle to, to have things to, to spiritually impact the kids and others in your life. I did talk to uh, a man who's buying it for his dad, too. So it goes that way, because I like it. I'm, I'm old. Um, so talking about hopes and fears, and so the beginning of the Christmas story is where we're going to cover, and the beginning of the Christmas story starts with the most boring parts of the Bible, a genealogy. Ooh. You know, I'm bored by my own genealogy, let alone someone else's somewhere else, someplace and place I'll never be to. And, and actually, that's not true. I, my own genealogy does interest me a little bit, right, because it's mine. And so recently I was looking up some stuff and was looking about my grandfather who immigrated to the United States when he was 18, and then he got a little bit older, he was in his 40s, and he didn't want to wear, marry one of these wild American women. You wild American women. So he went back over to Slovakia, and the woman he thought he would marry was already married, you know, because they didn't really have telegrams and stuff like that back then. They didn't communicate real well, um, no telephones. And so he married her younger sister. Why not, you know? 20 years younger than him, younger sister. But then he didn't have enough money to bring her back to the United States, so for their honeymoon, he left and took a boat to the United States, and she stayed in Slovakia. 
and then he earned enough money, and then he sent the money over somehow, you know, and, and then she came over about nine months after him, throwing up on the boat all by herself, like, what a, what a fairy tale story, you know. But that's interesting to me because it's my story. And so this genealogy is not your story, not your part of the world, but, but if you think about it, in a lot of ways, the story of Jesus is our story. And, and it's, it's a story that's, that really involves all of us and we can put it into our lives. So, so this is a genealogy. We're going to talk about the women in the genealogy, which is weird, okay? Because genealogies back then were just about the men. Why? Well, because most cultures throughout most of human history were sexist. You know, so, so the men were more important, and so they mentioned the men, and they didn't mention the women. Is this right? No. Is this good? No. But it's just the way it was. But this genealogy is different because it mentions four women. And not only that, but, but this is a royal genealogy. Matthew is showing that, that Jesus is the descendant of 15 kings are mentioned. In particular, the King David, who God had promised that his, his kingdom would be forever, and through Jesus Christ, his kingdom is forever. And so this is a royal genealogy, and, and in Israel, you could only be a king. They had no queens. You did not have a Queen Victoria or Elizabeth or anything like that. It was only guys. There was one queen, but she was illegitimate. She murdered everyone in her family, you know, and it was just bad. So, um, so it was just the guys. And so to mention women in a royal genealogy is really unusual. But not only that, but this is what they call a telescoping genealogy. So if you take a telescope, like you think of the old pirate telescopes, you know, where you, you, you have them out like that, and then you can collapse it. That's the kind of genealogy this is. This isn't the complete genealogy. This is a collapsed version. So if you, you look down at... Um, chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Jehoram is the father of Uzziah. He was actually the great-great-grandfather of Uzziah. It skips three generations in there. And, and that's because, as you read this, the geneal genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Was Jesus the son of David? Well, he was in the way that these words meant in the original language. It meant he was the descendant of David, but David would have been his, like, 40th great-grandfather. I mean... And so this, this is just, that's what it means. When it says son of, it means descendant from. When it says father, it means forefather. You know, it's not necessarily what we think of with biological father and son. David was not the biological son of Abraham. He was the descendant from Abraham. And so that, that's just what it means. So, so you have this shortened genealogy, supposed to be just men, supposed to be, you know, emphasizing kingship, and we got four women. Why? I think we're supposed to ask, why? And then you look at the four women that are mentioned, and that's even weirder. Because if I was going to mention women in this list, I would mention like Sarah. She has this great reputation, this, this mother of faith. And then, and then after Sarah, you have Rebecca, the smoking hot wife of Isaac. And my wife happens to be named Rebecca. And, you know, so this beautiful, you know, just awesome. And, but she's not mentioned. And then you even have Leah. And Leah's kind of like this, oh, your heart goes out to Leah and all she went through. And, and you know, I, I, not, not as scandalous. The four women mentioned are scandalous. 
They're, they're not the people you want to emphasize in your lineage because you got to think about the people Matthew's writing to. They, they weren't as egalitarian. They, they were a lot more conservative than we are today. Think Victorian England. Right? If you've ever watched any movies about Victorian England, and think of the, these no, nobles and these upper crust people, you know, who are, who are very important, and then finding out that their grandma was a prostitute. I mean, that would be like, you would never want anyone to know. It would ruin your standing. It would ruin your reputation. These are things you don't, like, talk about. You don't emphasize. And here in this genealogy, we got four women, and all of them have have sketchy things about them in their past. And so we're just going to dive into that and then see why that would be. And on top of that, as we talk about this, um, I think it's important to point out, again, sexist cultures, most uh, ancient cultures were, if not all of them. Um, and sinful men, societal, you know, they were seen as down here. But sinful women were even lower. Now, is that true? No. Is that right? No. But that's how they were seen. In fact, John chapter 8, some of you know that story of the woman caught in adultery. So they catch this woman in adultery. They bring her before Jesus for his condemnation. You're like, she is this sinful, adulterous woman. And the thought that goes through my mind, where was the dude? She was caught in adultery. There had to have been a guy there. What did they do with him? And, and the truth is, in that culture, it's wrong, it's not true, but they saw women, sinful woman is even lower than a sinful man. In fact, there is a little bit of this in our culture as well. There is a word for a woman without sexual scruples, a slut. What is, what is the equivalent for a man? Is there an equivalent? A gigolo? <laughs> That doesn't, that doesn't sound awful. Why? It, it is the same sin. Why doesn't it have? And so, so, you know, the Bible is in pointing out these women, I've, I think what he's saying, and this is really important, and we'll talk about Tamar's story, but your past doesn't define you. Jesus does. And, and it doesn't matter how sinful, how low on the bar of society you feel like you are or other people think you are or how bad you think you are or, or, or the, most, the most wicked thing you could possibly think of. That is not what defines you. Jesus defines you. And, and the truth is, Jesus only defines you if you have made him your Savior and Lord. So a lot of messages, I say things like, hey, this is, this is a standard. This is something God wants really for those who follow him. So if you're here this morning and you're not following Jesus, this isn't for you. You need to count the cost and see that this is what God demands of believers and those that are following him, this is what it means. And, and so this is kind of the opposite. I'm saying if you're not a follower of Jesus, this isn't for you and that's not good. If you're not a follower of Jesus, your past does define you. And, you know, sin, condemnation makes our sin our identity. Talked about this before. This is just kind of so mind-blowing to me. I just want to always remember it. So, so if condemnation says my sin of lying becomes my identity, I'm a liar. My sin of addiction becomes my identity. I'm an addict. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. 
I'm a thief because it becomes, and that is your identity unless you have asked Jesus to take your place. And then he takes that sin and your identity becomes what you are in Christ. In fact, there's two little cards you got on your way in and one says my future and the other says my past. I'll tell you about the past one in a little bit. But the my future one, this tells us who we are in Christ. This is your identity. It's all out of Ephesians chapter 1 and then the last one is from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. But if you have asked Jesus to forgive you, you are chosen by God. He picked you. You are holy and blameless. Well, I don't feel holy and blameless. doesn't matter what you feel. Your identity in Christ, because he died for you. When God looks at you, he looks and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am adopted in Christ. You're his child. You're, you're, you're in the royal lineage now. I'm redeemed and forgiven. I am God's handiwork, chapter 2, verse 10. In fact, I love how one translation made that. I'm God's handiwork. It says, I'm his masterpiece. I'm God's masterpiece. That's who you are in Jesus, not, not your sin. So, so how bad could it be, Tamar? We talked about a Tamar last week, not the same Tamar. This Tamar lived 900 years before. It was a fairly common name. It means literally palm tree or date palm. And palm trees were associated with wisdom and beauty. So not a bad thing, not an uncommon thing to name your daughter uh, something like wisdom or beauty. Um, but so Tamar um, married Ur, Judah's son. And before I tell the rest of the story, we got we to understand the time period in which this was written. This happened 3,900 years ago, Tamar's story, one of the oldest stories you'll ever hear. 3,900 years ago, I looked up what were the new inventions back then. New inventions were musical notation, scissors, and the chariot. Those were brand new. Things not invented yet was glass, rubber, and the sundial. How do you not invent the sundial? You stick a stick in the ground and you draw a circle. Like, you know, but like, so this is how primitive, and it's important to know how primitive things were because this is a period of time in history where you could not underestimate the importance of brute strength and physicality. So if you did not have a young man or a middle-aged man around you, you were in trouble because there were no police. So, so there, are, there are certain places today where it's like this, where, where it is the family's responsibility to get justice because there's no police, there's no judges, there's no, you know system, like your family made sure you were safe. If someone did something to your family, it was your job as a family to make it right and to get revenge and all of that. So, so protection, physical protection needed a physical man. And, and even many of, the, many of the jobs, you just needed brute strength. I mean, you just, there's just no way around it. So if you became an old man, and you didn't have a son who was middle-aged or young, you were very vulnerable. And if you were a woman or a child and you didn't have a man who was taking care of you or there, you were in trouble as well. 
And so in this story, Tamar marries into Judah's family, and so now she is Judah's responsibility. The family, the extended family, the clan need to take care of her. And so she needs to have a son who will then take care of her in her old age. She marries Ur, Judah's son, and the Bible says Ur was wicked, so God killed him. And so then they're like, okay, he's dead. Well, he's got a younger brother, Onan, so she marries Onan, and Onan is also wicked, and so God kills him too. There's more to the story. It's really gross, so I won't get into it this morning. But So they're both dead. And so now Judah is thinking, she's a black widow. She's cursed. He doesn't know that, I mean, he probably knew his sons were wicked, but Judah's really wicked himself, so, you know, it's kind of it's all in the family there. But he's thinking, you know, if I only have one more son, Sheila. And if she marries Sheila and Sheila dies, I'm in trouble because then I don't have a male heir to take care of me when I'm old. Like, so he says to Tamar, he says, you know what? Sheila's a little young. Let's just wait till he grows up and then you'll marry him. And, and it's, it's actually leveret marriage and it's a long story. I won't get into it. But, but that, then, then that'll happen and... And, and we'll do that. And so she's like, okay, that makes sense. Well, years, years go by, years and years, and she sees, I'm not getting Sheila, and they think I'm cursed. So she comes up with a solution. She decides, well, I'll just sleep with a man like a prostitute, and then I'll have, you know, hopefully it'll be a boy. If it's not a girl, I'll do it again, and hopefully eventually I'll have a boy, and then I'll have a boy that take care of me. But... I can't do that because to be a prostitute in that culture, very conservative culture, would mean she would be killed because it was dishonorable to the family. The family would kill her because she would dishonor her family. So, so she decided, so I'll be a prostitute, but I'll seduce my father-in-law, Judah, which tells you what kind of man Judah was. Bible's clear, Judah was a wicked man. Uh, he sold his younger brother Joseph as a slave. You know, th this guy has no scruples, so she dresses up as a prostitute, which involved wearing a veil, because again, conservative culture, um, shameful to do this, so you'd wear a veil, so you didn't necessarily know who it was. And she made sure she was in a spot where Judah wouldn't have money with him. She, he wouldn't have a form of payment um, and so he meets her, he sees her, oh, a prostitute, great, I know what to do, not a good guy. And uh, she says, how are you going to pay me? And he's like, well, I don't have anything to pay me. She says, why don't you give me your staff with your cord and signet ring? The, the staff was a symbol of his power, signet ring obviously would, would sign everything. Everybody knew what his staff looked like, everybody knew his signet. And she said, you give me those things. And then later on, you, you send someone back with payment, and I'll give you the staff and ring and cord back. And he's like, sure. They do the deed. Off he goes. He sends a servant back with a goat to pay, and he can't find her. The guy starts asking around the town, like, hey, was there a prostitute that usually hung out over here? And they're like, no. We don't know what you're talking about. Comes back to Judah, and Judah's like, okay, this is getting embarrassing. All right, we're going to be made a laughing stock if we keep going around looking for a prostitute I slept with, like people are talking and like, okay, so I tried, I fulfilled my part of the bargain, that's it, like let's drop the whole thing. So they drop the whole thing until several months later, Tamar is pregnant 
And the family finds out Tamar's pregnant. She was a prostitute and she's pregnant now. And Judah's like, kill her. And then she says, well, the son is, belongs to the father who owns these and shows everyone his staff and a signet ring and the cord that went with it. And they're all like, oh. And Judah says one of the most understated statements in the whole Old Testament, she is more righteous than I. <laughs> you think? You know, and that, that's a pretty low bar, Judah. <laughs> more righteous than you. And so this is one of the most scandalous, awful stories in the Old Testament. And here Matthew, not just Matthew, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's like, you need to, you need to mention Tamar in this genealogy. He, he that has us hear the story. You know, you think of these Victorian England kind of people. That's what they would have been like back then. You would never have wanted to say, oh, yeah, and in... Remember great-great-grandpa? Yeah. Incest. Great. You don't bring that up at parties with polite people. And, and so this is, this is what he brings up. And again, it's to make... So you need to realize, if you're here today, whatever your past, I don't care how bad, it does not define you. If you've asked Jesus to forgive you and made him your Lord, Jesus defines you. And we have people who've told me their stories and how they are a result of incest or how they were raped by a family member and then had a kid and, you know, and all these things. And, and I want you to maybe get this card out, my past, and, and think about what is, what we're going to do with these. So I want you to write down the most shameful, unforgivable, awful thing in your past. And at the end of the service, we got a shredder here and a shredder there. I wanted to burn them, but it might set off the, the sprinkler system. And I've been told that would cause tens of thousands of dollars in damage to our building. So we're not going to risk the burning. All right. And if you're watching online at home, just get a scrap of paper, small, get a bowl. And at the end, you can burn it. One scrap of paper won't burn your house down. Put it in a bowl, just not a wood bowl. But so we're, we're going to just shred these at the end of the service. I'm going to encourage everyone to just come up, put it in, and just shred it. Because, you know, we're physical creatures. We are not just floating brains or disembodied spirits. We are physical creatures, and sometimes it helps to do a physical thing about our sin and to recognize as far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed our sins from us. And God has taken our sin. If we've asked Jesus to forgive us, he's taken it, he's shredded it, he's burned it, and then he buried it at the bottom of the ocean. Like, it is gone. And I don't know what you're going to write on there. I wouldn't be surprised if we have people write down my abortion, write down my, my adultery, when I betrayed my wife, when I lied and when I stole, and when I blamed someone else and they, they took the punishment and I was too cowardly. And I had someone after the first service and he said, I need about five pages <laughs> and, and just feed them in like this. And I'm like, well, you don't have to do all five. Just a few, maybe the things that you just wish so bad you could turn the clock back 
and undo and not do. But you know what? That's not what defines us anymore. Jesus defines us. The next person, the next woman in this genealogy, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. It's about all we know about Rahab. She, she hid the spies. She decided that the God of Israel, the God of the Jews, was the true God, and she feared him, and she wanted to follow him, and she risked her life to hide those spies. And then as a reward, they said, what can we do for you? And she said, spare my life. And they said, anyone in your home will be, will be safe. And the Bible says her mom and her dad, her brothers and sisters, and anyone else in her family that was in her home, she saved their lives. And then she started a new life with Salmon, who we know nothing about. But the Bible goes out of its way to let us know and understand this is in the line of Jesus. This, these are his, this is where he's descended from, Rahab, the prostitute. And then Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. And so you say, well, what's, what's the deal with Ruth? And actually, Ruth is a sweet girl. Ruth is good and godly and all of that. And, and uh, so you're like, well, so that, that's kind of weird. But the problem with Ruth was she was a Moabitess. She was that, they, those were the wrong kind of family to be from, the wrong people. Deuteronomy 22.3 says, God says, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord not even to the 10th generation. That's a lot of generations. That's like saying, like, who is your great, 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 great grandpa? A Moabite? You're out. You can't go into the, the, the temple courtyard because you're from that family. And uh, here, here's what we need to understand is your family not only does your past not define you, but your family doesn't define you either. This area used to be a little bit different. Um, Susquehanna County, especially for those maybe who've moved recently or, or you're watching online, um, 15, 20 years ago, almost the, the majority of people in Susquehanna County were born in Susquehanna County. Okay, and, and definitely were born in Pennsylvania and not a lot of people moving in. And um, so when you would meet someone, everybody knew each other. Or if they didn't know you, they knew your family. So when you'd meet someone, this is how they'd introduce themselves. This, is, this would be how I would introduce myself now. So I'm Bob Kedlisic, but my daughter is Amber. She married Peter Sayre, so we're related to them. And then my wife's mom, her cousin, is Connie Williams. Connie and Fred Williams worked at the high school. And you know, that, that is literally how every introduction went when I moved here. And I would be like, and what's your name again? Thank you for the whole family tree, but uh, what were you, John? I, I, don't, I don't remember. You know, it's such a long story. I just asked your name. But so, so that, that's kind of how things are here. And that's how things are in many places of the world, certainly ancient Israel as well. And, and so this family thing is important. I remember meeting someone, this woman, and, and I was telling her about, you know, with God, we can all have a clean slate. And we want to demonstrate that as a church as well and be that way. And she said, oh, you, you don't understand. Do you know who I am? I said, you're, and I gave her first name and her last name. He said, no, 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 no. 
She said, that's not who I am. That's my married name. My maiden name is, and she gave this name, and I won't mention it. She says, we don't get clean slates. We have a reputation. People know about us. We don't get clean slates. And um, you know what? With God, doesn't matter who your family was. Doesn't matter what they did. Doesn't matter what you did. We can all have forgiveness. This is called the good news. This is why we need to share this with other people that they can have that news that they can be forgiven and God's grace and His mercy. That you don't have to, I mean, you know, at this point in the story, well, I'll get to that, but here, here's the fourth one, the fourth woman in the genealogy, Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. She's not even mentioned by name because the author wants to make the point incredibly clear who this woman was and what David did. David committed adultery and because Bathsheba was Uriah's wife. And so we have the Christmas story. Here's the summary so far. Incest, prostitution, descendant from incest, adultery, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Isn't that awful? In fact, it's worse than that. If you go back to Judah with, with Perez and the twins that were born with Tamar, you know what those twins, you know what they would be called, the technical term for them? I'm not going to swear. It will sound like a swear word, but it's not a swear word. It is a technical term. Those, those men were bastards. That's, that's, that's what a man is called, a boy is called, when he's born out of wedlock. And so we have in the line of Jesus here, bastards. How, how is that peace on earth, goodwill to men? How is that the Christmas story? But it is because we need to realize Jesus didn't come for the good guys because he wouldn't have come at all. None of us are good guys. And those of you who think you're a good guy, you're not thinking too clearly. You're not remembering everything you've done, but... But, you know, here David and adultery with Bathsheba. And that, that leads us to this third realization that your reputation doesn't define you either. Oh, you're the guy. Yeah, with her. Oh, you're the son. Oh, interesting. Your, your reputation, your family, your past, none of that defines you. Jesus defines you. And he says, you're my masterpiece. I chose you. I could have chosen anyone. I chose you. And you're holy and you're blameless and all those things on that card. Christmas reminds us the sins of our past can find forgiveness because of God's mercy. And it wouldn't be a complete story, right, if we didn't talk about the last woman in the line of Jesus, and that is Mary. Wouldn't be the Christmas story without mentioning her. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. And of course, Mary, incredibly righteous woman, perhaps the most righteous woman to ever live. I mean, just godly. But here's the thing about Mary and reputation. If you would have asked some of the villagers in her hometown 
about Mary's reputation after she had gotten pregnant, after she had Jesus, they would have told you, yeah, Mary, we, th we thought she was a sweet girl. She couldn't help herself. You know, and I've heard it wasn't even Joseph. And Mary chose, when, when the angel said to Mary, hey, good news, you're going to be pregnant out of wedlock through the Holy Spirit. She didn't go, are you kidding me? Do you know what that's going to do to my reputation? She praised God because she, she cared more about being righteous and being thought unrighteous than she wanted to be unrighteous and thought righteous. See, it didn't matter what other people thought. We need more Mary in, in our lives today. Don't, don't, you, don't you concern yourself about what other people think of you and who other people, uh, you know, how they label you or, or what category they put you in. That doesn't matter. What matters is what God thinks of you because that's reality. And the reality was it didn't matter what Mary's reputation was. She was godly and holy and, and an awesome woman that God blessed and chose and that, whose life helped change the world. And that can be you as well because Jesus defines us and not our sin, our past, our reputation, our family, or anything else. Well, I want you to take a moment right now. The band is going to come in a little bit and they're going to play a song. I want you to think right now about this card and write down what is it in your past that haunts you. We're going to do a not really, but kind of like an exorcism this morning. Not of ghosts, not of demons, an exorcism of the sin of your past. We want to get that out, and maybe you've asked Jesus to forgive you of this 50 years ago, but it just still, it, it, it comes back. It's still, you don't feel forgiven all the time. Let's remind ourselves of, of who we really are if we've accepted Jesus as our Savior. So before the band comes, I'm just going to close in a salvation prayer because if you have not asked Jesus to forgive you, if you have not given him and surrendered your life to him, this isn't true. I mean, this is true, and you got to keep it. Let's let it go. Let it go. Get, get forgiveness and forgive. And, and get a new life. Your, your, your life can't be that great. Can't be that awesome. Give God a chance to give you a new life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would just work among us, Lord. Those watching online, those here in the room, Lord, that, that we would be all in for Jesus, just like those two men were just baptized. And God, I, I do admit today that I am a sinner. And I've done things wrong to hurt others. And Lord, I just pray that anyone who's never accepted you, that they would pray along with me. God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I'm sorry for all that I've done. And then out of gratitude, I want to give you my life. Help me to follow you from this day forward. Help me to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.